Hey everyone, it's Norm Ferrar, aka The Beard Guy here, and welcome to another Lunch with Norm, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about how to master the hiring process, reduce failed hires, and increase diversity. We're also going to be talking about why is bias in, hire, in the hiring process, what are the most common forms of bias, and how can you reduce or mitigate these biases. All right, welcome to another Lunch with Norm, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. All right, here we go with another serial entrepreneur, an angel investor prior to starting the mothership. Ben spent the last few years helping other entrepreneurs cope with rapid growth through mentoring, events, and a program generated as a result of the MIT Regional Accelerator Initiative. Today, first-time guest, Ben Fletcher. But before we get to Ben, we're going to have a word from our sponsor. I want to give a quick shout out to an incredible group of sponsors who help keep our podcast running. The Lunch with Norm podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of the following sponsors. Post Purchase Pro, Clear Ads, Goldstein Patent Law, Honu Worldwide, Netfluence.co, Video Telepathy, Startup Club, and Dragonfish Brand Management. I just want to let our sponsors know, you're awesome. Now let's get back to the show. All right, where is the boy blunder? Hello, hello, that's me. You look at you like doing? you're in a different area. I am. I am actually right above you. You're, you're as we calm. Speak. You, there's no stress. I know. That's just, because you're home. Just, en just enjoying a wonderful Wednesday with the fam. With Mama and Papa. That's right. <laughs> right. Hey, did you notice over in the comments section, Andy Craig is back? Andy is here. Yes. Good to see you, Andy. Well, and, and, with you. and Luke and Connor and Rad is back. Rad is back as well. This is very cool. All right, guys. Yeah. Well, it's always so, good to see uh, uh, listeners that have uh, just wandered away for a while. And then we sent them 20 bucks and they're back now, which is great. Yeah, so it's good to see Cool Hand 99, Connor, uh, Andy, Rad. Uh, let us know if you're watching, where you're watching from. We have Amazon Elite, aka Tom, all the way from London. And uh, yeah, we have a great giveaway to this podcast, which we do every single podcast. So uh, stick around to learn more about that. Um, also, don't forget to join our Facebook group. That's the Lunch with Norm Amazon FBA and e-commerce collective. That's over in the descriptions that you can go and check out. Also, um, don't forget to subscribe to the channel too. Um, we do this Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Um, every week so if you like what you're hearing make sure you subscribe down below and uh, don't forget to smash those like buttons too and let me see see another <laughs> yes andy you weren't supposed to tell anyone about that but uh he said kelsey told me 40 bucks <laughs> and uh yeah i think uh, we can get started if you have any questions about today's episode feel free to put them over in the question uh in the comment sections and we will be getting to them um usually about halfway through the show we start going over there so um yeah, it's gonna. It's a great topic, and I uh, can't wait for today's episode. All right. So, Kelsey's frozen, so it's 
perfect timing to get going. All right. So if you do have questions, comments, throw them over in the comments section. I think we're going to have lots of questions today. I know this is a topic that a lot of people, especially once they're just going from being a solopreneur to that next level, they're always wondering, you know, how can they improve their hiring? Uh, I know I've done it in the past where I've hired people and they were just bad hires, really bad hires. And it cost me time and money just because I did it wrong. So I can't wait to talk further with Ben about this. Questions in the comments section, please make sure you ask them early because I don't know how many questions are going to be in and we want to answer them all. And now sit back, relax, grab a cup of coffee, enjoy the episode. Welcome, Ben. Hi, hi Dom. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm ready to go. You're ready to go. Okay. Yeah. So I won't back <laughs> into the corner too bad. So I hope that we're going to get lots of questions today. Uh, I know a lot of the people, a lot of the listeners are in that in-between area where they're going from becoming like they, they've got a uh, they've got a product. The product has, you know, been a side hustle for them and now it's starting to make money. Now they're starting to say, hey, I can do this. I'm a solopreneur. But now it's exceeding what they've thought and they got to hire somebody and they don't know the first thing about it because they've never done it in the past. So this is uh, it, this is great. And uh, I can't wait to, you know, get into this, dig into it and ask you a few questions. But first, before I get started, I mentioned something uh, in the intro and I wanted to make sure people understood this. And that's before we even get started. Can you explain what the heck the mothership is? Okay, so um, we are we're we're an e-commerce aggregator. I think that's been quite popularized with the rise of the FBA aggregators. Um, I think what we the way we see it is slightly different from I think the typical Amazon aggregation model, which is I think Amazon aggregation, and I'm probably massively typecasting, but it's about um, achieving efficiencies and scale um, and bringing kind of Amazon marketing expertise to uh, Amazon brands, which is all all good. Um, what we think is the opportunity is to build new consumer brands um, because there are you know, thousands, well, there are millions of new kind of solo entrepreneur businesses or businesses that have achieved a, a significant amount of scale, probably tens of thousands that are really achieved quite significant scale because of the rise of Amazon um, and Shopify and other e-commerce platforms. Um, and so, but generally, because, uh, you know, as you were saying in your intro, a lot of them are you know, quite early stages. Maybe they've only got one or two employees it's really hard for them to be expert at everything. So maybe they've cracked Amazon, maybe they've cracked Facebook, but they haven't cracked all the different channels. Maybe they haven't worked out how to do international expansion. So we can kind of bring that expertise to grow those additional channels, um, grow those additional geographies. But the, the, the big game for us is, can we build them into new kind of consumer brands? So they have to be high quality products, but there's a real difference between a product that you just managed to sell through paid social or, or whatever your, your platform is and one which has a real brand reputation. So, um, and those products that have that brand uh, reputation are more highly valued. So our idea is you buy those businesses, you help them grow by optimizing their existing channels, launching new channels, launching new products, new geographies. But the, the big game is to turn them into new kind of recognizable brands. Okay, I'm glad you said that because I, I thought you were going to say, you know, uh, something that where I had to wear a tinfoil hat on my head or something. So the mothership, okay, yeah. there we go. Perfect. All right, now let's talk about bias in hiring. Why is that a problem? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously what we're trying to do is hire the best person for our um, our organization that's going to fit in really nicely. Um, and uh, there's a lot of ways in which the human brain works that, that, that make that a difficult process. So I think I've always been interested in, in kind of rationality and biases. Uh, I've always, you know, we, we, we tend to think that we're, we're very rational humans, but actually we're prone to all these um, kind of biases that, that make us totally irrational, but we don't know. Um, they're all kind of perfectly reasonable things from when we evolved. They were kind of rational approaches to how, how you'd survive, but they, they, they massively oversimplify the world. Um, and if you follow those um, inputs, then um, you, you will kind of make the wrong decisions. Um, I, I just thought I'd give you one just sort of example of biases and how you were kind of blind to them ourselves, which is um, if you show uh, a kind of two groups of men a picture of a car, and in one example, the car has an attractive woman standing next to it, and one they don't, the men that are shown the picture of the car with the attractive women in it will tend to rate that car higher in all categories of, of design, performance, speed, and so on. Obviously, if you turn around to one of those men that had scored it above average and said you were influenced by the fact that there was an attractive woman in the picture, they would obviously turn around to you and say, that's total nonsense. That had nothing to do with my decision at all. And, and maybe actually in that case of that specific person, maybe it didn't have any impact. You don't know. But the fact that on average, people will tend to rate the car faster, better designed, more expensive, whatever it is, um, shows that we're biased, but we're blind to it. You know, uh, I used to see this at trade shows all the time. I haven't, I don't really go to that many trade shows that often. I go to conferences now, mostly Amazon or e-commerce based. But when I used to go to trade shows, that's what they would do. They would have these um, attractive women in front of the booth. I remember even um, a cigar roller who would just bring in beautiful women. And what would happen? It would give you traffic. People, you know, it's not the, necessarily the brand that you went to see. It was, oh, they had something there that's driving me over to the booth. And even if they were in the background or even if the photos were like that, but the, it, it goes way beyond that. Like it, it could be the colors that you're using in your booth. It could be, you know, there's a bias towards a certain color or age or whatever it is. It is so crazy. And you know what? I experienced this uh, when I, I had one of my first companies where we were growing really fast. And one of the biggest problems and one of the biggest problems I had with hiring was I was trying to hire too many people like myself. Like, you know, it's that personality match. And somebody came in and, you know, they were like more of a deer in the headlights uh, or like accounting position. Although I did hire one accountant that was crazy, kind of more like my personality. But the accountants that I generally, and this is biased, but uh, it was a completely different mindset than mine. The, the, the best accountants that worked for had uh, a personality I had and I had to find it out the hard way that's the same thing with employees that I had I had to look at different things and it had to be I didn't want to see people I didn't want like I used to have uh interview I didn't want to see the person I'd have somebody else interview and then I would get the best group uh, that I thought were the best and then try to take it from there because if I saw the person I know in the back of my mind that I couldn't trust myself. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that's, that? That's, yeah, that's that's a kind of classic thing. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they're comp- to be an entrepreneur, you have to be kind of confident of your own opinions. Um, and that has pros and cons. If you didn't have that confidence, you probably would never get started and do anything. But if you make a mistake, you're also confident that you're, you're doing the right thing, even though you're making a mistake. Um, I think the thing that you were talking about, there's a, a bias called um, affinity bias. And that's just saying that you like people that are like you. Um, and if you are a kind of out, I mean, I'm, I'm stereotyping massively here and I actually don't agree this is necessarily right, but there's a stereotype that salespeople are kind of gregarious and outgoing and so on. Um, and accountants are maybe more shy and retiring. So if you're a salesperson type person and you're trying to hire accountants, are you, you going to try and hire the accountant that just comes across best in the interview, not the one that is actually really, really good at their, uh, their job. Um, and, uh, I think there's another really massive bias, which is the halo effect. Uh, the halo effect is the one that we're talking about when we talk about the the attractive girl at the booth or in, in the mm. car or when a when a, a celebrity endorses a product or something. It, you think, oh, I like this person, and therefore, if they say this is a, a good product, I should I should buy it. Um, and in hiring, what that where that manifests itself is you're like, oh, this person went to a a great university. Oh, they're at Yale or they're at Harvard. They must be amazing. Not necessarily. I mean, it's a, obviously it's a good sign if someone's got into a top university, um, but it may not make them fantastic for you. As a, depends on what your job is and whether the person's a good fit. Um, often uh, people will say, "Oh, this person worked at Facebook, so they must be amazing." Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, they, that's a good sign that they got into Facebook because it's a very competitive company. But it may be that they were a great person for Facebook, but they're not a great person for you. So it doesn't mean just because they got into one of those kind of trophy brand name uh, companies that they're going to be a great um, employee so um and, and you know of, what happens is that halo effect means that you see that great university or that great uh, company on their cv and then you tend to uprate all of the other stuff on their cv because you're seeing it through the lens of this very positive lens effectively you're you're rating the car faster better designed or, or whatever because you you've latched onto this a factor like uh, their university or place of work. So to get around all of this, because every a lot of people have biases that they don't realize, how do you get around it? Yeah, so I think some of the stuff is really, I mean, we, we stereotype people massively. And I'll, I'll just give you an example from, um, uh, we, we use a platform called Applied, um, Be Applied, uh, that is how, how you find them. Um, and they've done a lot of research into bias in, in hiring. One of the things they did, they looked at um, the callback rates for different candidates. So they, they applied exactly the same CV. And um, in the, the first CV, the person's called Sandra Bauer. Um, and it's a, a, a white woman just dressed in a norm in a blouse or something. Uh, and that person gets a, a 19% callback for this set of skills that they've uh, put on. In the next one, she, exact, everything else exactly the same, but she's called Miriam Ozturk. So she's got a kind of Turkish sounding name. That person gets a 14% um, uh, a callback rate. And in the final example, she's called Miriam Ozturk and she's wearing a headscarf. And that person gets a 4% response rate so people tend to they, they, they've got biases about religion about race about sex about politics and if they these are often the first things you see on a cv you get someone's name and you deduce a lot of stuff about their their religion their their sex um, and uh, um, uh, and so on from from that so the first thing you need to do is to take off 
any references to you know, age, sex, um, race, uh, and so on. So you have to have a kind of blind hiring process, but, but you're also trying to remove those obvious clues about, oh, I went to this great university, or I, got the, I worked for this amazing company, because that's also going to influence you. Um, I think there's also, uh, uh, you know, often people think, if someone worked for one of your competitors doing a very similar job, I mean, that's kind of how the recruitment process works. It's, it's kind of broken from the beginning. So I say, I want to hire a, a marketing person for my e-commerce brand. Um, so what's really tempting for me is to look for someone that had exactly the job title I'm looking for at another e-commerce company, ideally someone a bit bigger than me that, uh, that I really respect. Um, and so I'm, and then if I've got all those biases happening at the same time, I'm looking for someone that's kind of, looks like me sounds like me maybe the same sex as me um western sounding name all of that sort of stuff and i want them to have this very specific job title and i want them to be from this very specific set of companies i'm really restricting my talent pool down to a really very small group of people but also the way that i've done that filtering process doesn't mean that i'm going to hire the people that are necessarily best for the job um i think particularly if you think the way the, the modern world works is your job is not, it's not like you hire a plumber and because they've, they've used to doing so many plumbing jobs, all the plumbing is the same and you just know they can do it. The world's changing. What used to work on uh, Amazon marketing last year doesn't work this year. Something new will work. Something new on Facebook will work. Something else has stopped working. So you're constantly learning. So the idea that someone with just this sort of wealth of experience um, is going to be brilliant for you doesn't necessarily apply anyway so you want to break down those um uh, those traditional kind of hooks that you're going to look at to hire someone so one of the yeah so take off the the names of the people take off the any references to sex and, and uh, uh religion and uh, even the like universities and jobs so how do you do that well what we do is we use this platform applied but you can put together the same thing to yourself with a type form we ask everyone three to five questions that we think are really important that someone should be able to answer in order to be able to do the job um, effectively. Um, they, those are partly, I would say sort of half and half for us, cultural and half job specific. So we generally ask them a question. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. So when we're hiring for someone for um, Facebook, for example, we might ask them, Tell us about a time that you had an underperforming campaign and what did you do in order to make that campaign work? So that's great. That gets to show them that they've got specific skills that would be, would be good. Um, but then we'd also ask them a question, which is something like, show us a time that you had to uh, go above and beyond and achieve something fantastic. Or don't tell us about a time that you did something that didn't work and what did you, what did you learn from it? So we can just see whether they're culturally, you know, we want to hire people that are kind of lifelong learners that have got a growth mindset. We want to kind of test for those, test for those people. Um, and then, yeah, go on. No, no, I was just going to say, yeah. uh, going down a, a bit of a different rabbit hole, one of the things that, uh, one of the questions I always ask, and hopefully this is a little bit of a nugget. Um, I always ask, they can provide me an OP of their current company. And if they do, they're automatically done. I don't care how good they are. They Sharing other companies' information is not okay with me. So that's just, that's just one question yeah. that I ask. Oh, yeah, so it's a test for professionalism, isn't it? And it's like, yeah. well, if you hired that person, 
would they would they treat you with the respect? What if they? I think if anyone just is really bad mouthing a previous employee employer, it's just not a good look. Um, often when there's a conflict, it takes two to tango. So it's not quite sure who was the who was the the party that was at fault in the conflict. So um, I think if you've got those uh, conflicts with a previous employer and you're looking for a job, you should keep keep quiet about it. So yeah. um, so we we ask these these this set of questions. Then what we do, which is I think the kind of interesting the the halo effect also applies to these questions. Well, partly what will happen is someone will say they, they know the power of the fact that they went to Harvard or they know the power of the fact that they worked at Facebook or Meta. Um, and so they'll try and shoehorn that, that into, a, into, the, into any of their answers. But also you get the halo effect from if someone's first answer is really good, you tend to interpret all their following answers as being better. So we actually split up the questions so they're all independently scored where you can't see which questions belong to which candidate. You just get a question and an answer and you rate it from one to five. We also write a little guide of what a good, the other thing is everyone has a different approach to like what's three stars, what's four stars, what's five stars. People in America tend to give higher ratings. Um, people in the UK will give slightly lower. People in the Netherlands will give slightly lower and people in Eastern Europe will give even lower. So a three star rating from someone in Eastern Europe, you know, on the employment on our side, on the employment side might be worth a five star from someone in America. So you have to have a clear guide of what does a one star answer look like? What is a two star? What is a three star? So you're trying to create that kind of consistency. Um, so all the questions get split up. And you, you, you score a batch of questions at, a, at the same time, not knowing which one belonged to, to which candidate at all. So you've seen no name, you've seen no CV, all you've got is the, the questions. Um, normally three to four people will rate those, those questions and then they're combined together at the back end and you get a score for the candidate. And, and we sort of find that the people that have got more than 3.5 stars on average across all the questions are people that it's worth taking to a, a, a screening interview. So it, it, it sounds probably quite complicated, but you can uh, use a platform to do it, or you could do it with Typeform. I really don't think it would be that, it'd be a bit more manual process. But I think that that very first stage takes out a ton of the biases that are most likely to trip you up. Um, you're really just evaluating people on the quality of the, their answers rather than any other, any of the extraneous uh, information. And our initial experience has been the people that are, that we're putting through to screening interview, there's a huge diversity, and there are definitely people that came came through to that. That when we look at their CV, you just know you would never ever have asked that person for an interview if it hadn't been for the fact they'd done well on the questions. And that I think for us is one of the key ways that we that we measure it. So what happens? You're a small company. You don't have a bunch of people working for you that could split up all these questions. Um, would you just what would your approach be if you're just a solopreneur? Yeah, so if you're the only person that's going to score it, I, the, the key thing is to have them apply through the questions format anyway. You're getting rid of most of the biases there anyway. You're getting rid of the, the, the university, the, 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 the company bias, the, the sex, the age, the, 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 the religious, all that. So you're, you're, you're already taking a massive step. And also, I'll, I'll come on to the next stage of the process. So we do a um, a fairly standard um, screening interview where we're just we're just checking that it feels right. Um, uh, that's that's just because we we don't want to get, commit to a, a proper in-depth interview, which could be anywhere from an hour to three hours long. 
without just making sure that, that, that mostly it's about cultural fit, that, that screening interview. So we, we do that. Then when we do the in-depth quest, uh, interview, there's a, um, there's the, the normal way of doing uh, an interview, and this is an old school way of doing it, but I think a lot of people that haven't been trained in recruitment would probably start go through these processes. You get the CV and you go through the CV and you chat about some of their previous jobs and maybe have a little bit of a chat about the, their personal life or you might talk with a bit of chit chat so you talk about the fact that you've both been skiing or you chat about the places you've been on holiday or where you live or, oh my God, you come from my hometown, that's so cool. What, what you know, or, all of that is creating massive amounts of uh, bias as well. So that in-depth interview has to uh, change as well. So the way that we do that is we have a, a standard set of questions that we ask. Um, if people want to look this up, actually, there's a great book called Work Rules um, by Laszlo Bock, who is the head of um, HR for, for Google. Um, and, he, and that book is fantastic, goes into a load of detail on, on all of this. But um, yeah, you, so there's a massive difference between that sort of chit chatty interview and what's called competency based interviewing, which again is just being really clear about the skills you're testing for and asking spe for specific examples of where that person has uh, demonstrated those skills or, or hypotheticals, like what would you do in this situation and get them to talk through that in detail and a load of stuff about cultural fit. You know, what, what kind of person are you really looking for? We're really keen on people that are you know, lifelong learners and people that are, that are, that are prepared to take risks because um, that's how we think you get rapid growth. So we're always looking for examples of where people have demonstrated those sort of behaviors in, in previous, um, previous jobs. Again, what we do is we have a standard set of questions and for each question, there are, there are two or three people that sit in on that in-depth interview and they all scare, all score the questions out of five independently according to how well they've scored them and they have a guide to say what a good answer looks like which i understand that's a, probably a bit heavy for the the sort of solo entrepreneurs hiring the first few people but even if you're doing it for yourself you should have an idea of what a good answer looks like and you should score it out of five for your, yourself if you don't do the score scoring as you go through what tends to happen is the last either the first question has an outsized impact or the last question has an outsized impact you forget kind of the stuff in the in the middle uh, your first impression is great and then everything sounds fantastic or the last one sounds great so it leaves you with a good impression at the end if you go through a rigorous process of scoring you get a much fairer fairer process so you can remove the bias however you like we also then compare those scores independently uh, sort of privately we don't get together on a chat and say so what did you think because if you have that that interview that sort of process then the first person says oh, i thought they were fantastic and the person that thought mm, i didn't think they were very good then feels a bit embarrassed about saying that so they then say oh yeah they were quite good oh, yeah i quite like them too so particularly if the per person that speaks first is the more senior person in the organization so we score those independently and we look at those scores and that that actually stopped us from hiring someone early this year two people in that interview thought the person was fantastic and the third person just didn't at all and that really made us reevaluate. in the end we didn't offer that person a, a a job but that would have been completely hidden i think in the traditional hiring process because the first two people would have been like oh which one of them was me would have been like oh this is brilliant this person's so fantastic and the third person would, would probably have stayed quiet about it so um I understand that if you don't have three people to do interviews, you don't get that benefit of doing that, but you still get a lot of value from being rigorous about thinking about the questions that are right and scoring someone and coming up with it, adding a bit more science to it. Yeah, I, I like that process. I, 
I've never done that before. And it makes complete sense. So Kelsey, be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are getting towards the bottom of the hour. Uh, love to hear, like we've got lots of people on right now. Love to hear, you know, what you think about this. What is your hiring process nightmare? Or do you, do you like what you're doing? If so, share some of the information that you're, you do during your hiring process. Okay. Uh, we do have a great giveaway today. Hashtag Wheel of Kelsey. Tag two people and you'll get a second entry. Ben, you want to tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, I, I'm really passionate about this. Uh, this business. Hopefully you can tell like, hiring the right people is so critical for your business. So um, yeah, the, the prize is to speak to me one-on-one -on -one where I can talk you through your recruitment process and give you some input on how you would add this stuff that I've learned to your process. So I am telling you this is priceless because I've gone through it for years and just did it the wrong way. And if you can have an expert tell you what you're look to, what to look for or what not to look for, or just what we're talking about today, biases, um, it's going to make things so much easier for anybody listening. So that's hashtag wheel of Kelsey tag two people and you'll get uh, a second entry. Now, Kelsey, let's go to one of our sponsors. A big thank you to our sponsor post purchase pro the only complete A to Z done for you real email and text marketing service built specifically for Amazon sellers. Post Purchase Pro creates all of your digital assets 100% for you from marketing inserts, complete sales funnels, email follow-up sequences, and weekly email promotions. They manage and optimize everything for you to drive more sales, get higher ranking, and receive more reviews on Amazon. So check out Post Purchase Pro now to see if you too will see enormous growth like their nearly 500 clients worldwide. That's Post Purchase Pro at postpurchasepro.com slash lunch. Okay, so we're back again. If you want to enter, it's hashtag Willa Kelsey, tag two people, and we'll get you that second entry. Let's continue. What would be the next step that you see in the process? Um, so uh, after the um, after that in-depth interview, we, we, we have it's, it's it's sort of two steps, but it's it's sort of one. I'll explain why I'm saying that in a second. So I think that generally job interviews are poorly correlated with success in, in the job. You can improve them by doing this competency-based um, interviewing that, that I talk about, but on its own it's hard to really reveal whether someone's going to be good at doing the job. So the final stage for us is we set people a work sample test. So we come up with a project, which is very closely correlated to the kind of work that they'd be doing in the job itself. Um, and we get them to do that, uh, that job. The reason why I said there's another stage is um, I, I will then speak to everyone that we're hiring. Okay. So we're about 40 people at the moment. We've got about nine open jobs uh, at the moment, but I, everyone that's been through the in-depth interview and we like them and we're putting through, the, through to that final stage, I'm going to speak to everyone. And the reason that is that I've always felt like what frustrated me in my first company was I, I, always did a, I always did a really good job of selling the company. Why should that person come and work for us? Because I was aware that that candidate has other options. Um, and, then, and then I felt when I handed the recruitment process to, over to other people, what they tend to do is they just thought, oh, this is a person applying for a job. 
they're obviously really keen to have a job. We should just ask them loads of questions and then we'll decide whether we offer them the job or not. And I thought it's not really like that. That person has to, you know, we're competing against a lot of other good companies for that person. So the, the, the stage that I do is I speak to everyone and I make it really clear up front that I'm not interviewing them and it's just their chance to interview me. But I will tell them all about the company strategy. Totally, tra- We believe in being tra- very transparent about what we're doing. Um, I talk to them about uh, equity participation in the company. Um, and I just try and make sure that I, I also believe that the, the right job for someone is where they're taking a really significant step up and they're going to learn lots of stuff on the, on the job. That's sort of difficult because... I think a lot of times when you're hiring people, you want to hire someone that can just walk in and just be brilliant from from day one. But that person that has all the experience you need is taking a sideways step. And I'd always question, why is that person taking a sideways step into a job where they're not going to improve and advance as a person? So I'm always just checking that that person is taking that step up, that there's a, a way that they're going to be. And, and I'm doing it for, you know, on their behalf for them because I'm not assessing them. I'm just making sure that they are. Uh, clear that they're going to get some real um, kind of career advancement and learning out, out of the job. And I talk about e- equity participation. We give everyone that works for us equity in the company. So um, I want people to understand why we do that and, and why that's really important. So I think that just the, the, the key takeaway there, I think, for everyone is it's a competitive process and it's really easy just to assume that because they applied, they really want to, to buy, the, you know, buy the product. I work, come and work for you. But actually, that, that if you you've got to really make sure that it's it's right for them and in that final stage when they do the the work sample test it it's just a great insight into how they how they think and how they work the other thing it's amazing for is just i love people that want to go above and beyond going above and beyond is partly it's a mindset of people that are really um kind of um uh dedicated and persistent and uh, they've got high levels of conscientiousness They'll, those people tend to work hard so those are great people to employ but also they tend to put the extra effort in if they really want to work for the company and one of the highest correlations for me in, in success in the company is them really wanting to work for us versus just having a, another job if they really buy into what we're doing they can really see how we can help them grow as a person that person is the person we want to hire because they're going to come in and they're going to try hard and that is like 90 percent of it so um that work sample test does two things it evaluates the skills and it, it assesses that kind of conscientiousness and persistence uh, and everything so that is a really fantastic step for us is there a test site where i know this happens quite a bit where people say they are an expert in something expert in excel expert in in uh, workspace expert in um social media are there sites that you go to to have them tested for that as well? We we don't test on, on those things. I think um, one of the things that's missing from our process that I'd like to introduce is some some sort of standardized testing. I, I think Excel, if you're, if you're bright and it's important for you to learn Excel, you can learn Excel. You can, there's courses for that. So I don't worry too much about whether people have got those very specific skills. Um, because I think they can they can learn them. And like I was saying, we're hiring someone to do Facebook marketing. I want them to have a level of experience in Facebook marketing so that they're not kind of making obvious mistakes. But everything's going to change over the next couple of years. They're going to have to demonstrate that learning. So I'm more interested in people having demonstrated that they have been able to learn things in the past than they have a, a specific set of uh, set of skills. But um, if you read this work rules book by Laszlo Bock, there's loads of good stuff in there. Um, uh, 
the thing that makes people what i want to hire is people that have just the raw intellectual capability and then have the motivation to do a good job and those people can do can achieve just so much more than than other people so I, the thing that i'd like to introduce is as as a sort of standard test on uh, numerical and verbal reasoning um we used to have it in a previous company um it was a very basic uh test it took about 15 minutes to do but it was a very high predictor of whether people had the the basic level of smarts um because uh, that's your building block of, of uh, acquiring all this information the other thing is there are tests for conscientiousness um and laszlo bock talks about that quite a lot in his book we had a test uh, in a previous company for drive which is a similar kind of thing um so there are external parties that can provide these tests we haven't introduced that into our process yet but you know we're only a year and a half old so but we i definitely want to introduce that because if you have all of those things you've you know you've you've taken out the bias you've asked them a load of, of questions that are really clearly going to determine whether they have the skills and the cultural fit they do a work sample test and they've proven they've got the kind of intellectual ability um and the desire to learn that person is just going to be fantastic for your for your company now what about other things. So I don't know if you're hiring people overseas, but let's say it might be a computer, it might be an iPhone, it might be their internet. Uh, do you do you take a look at what they're using and if they don't have up to par, like let's say their internet sucks, uh, do you upgrade their internet for them? Um. Well, we, have to, we haven't had the problem of that specifically, but we would if we if we could. We provide everyone with the tools that they need to do their job. So that could be if they're working from home, it might need a desk and a chair, but, uh, you know, as well as a computer. So we'll provide all of that. We also provide offices in London and Barcelona. And if someone wanted to rent an office because they couldn't work at home, we would also you know, provide them with a co-working space or something like that. I mean, obviously. If you're gonna you're gonna hire someone that's gonna be fantastic for your company, you can't then handicap them by them not having the right exactly, tools yeah. for the job. It's like it's like investing in training. I love this session of like, what if I pay on this training, pay all this, spend all this money on training, and then they leave? And the the answer is, well, what if you don't invest in their training and they stay? Yeah, a great <laughs> point. A great point. That's a nugget. <laughs> yeah, or um, like even with the training, uh, I I've heard of. Uh, I don't like this, but if you're trained, uh, they don't get paid. I, I don't believe in that at all. I mean, if, if yeah. somebody's spending a, an hour in your company, whether it's uh, even doing what you were just saying, uh, providing an example of their work, I pay them. You know, I'm, nobody does anything for free. Um, and I, I see, a, <clears throat> I don't see a lot. I've heard of a few and I've talked to a few people that, think it's great that they get this free training out of a person uh and uh you know during their training i'm talking about they're already onboarding i, yeah. I don't think that's a great idea no no i think if you're, yeah, someone starts working for you they start getting paid there, there, there is a i mean the ideal test for someone really would be if they came and worked for you for three days and you should definitely pay them for that that obviously is really difficult to do in practice i mean if someone isn't working uh, maybe you can do it, but um, it's really hard. To, no, it's not going to just leave a job and come work for you for three days, but that would be a great way of really getting to to know someone. So the work sample test is our, our kind of way, way around that. Um, I think I want to touch on a couple of other things that I think people often uh, put a lot of uh, store in that don't really work very well. You get a lot of interview uh, uh, chats about kind of killer interview questions. 
it, hopefully you'll see from what I'm saying is the, the chances that's going to be one question that's going to be the real determiner of whether they're right for you or not. There might, there might, there might be ways of ruling someone out, like your question of are they ethical? That, that, uh, there might be questions that rule people out, but there won't be one question that the answer to which will be able to grade you on a scale of, of bad to, to excellent. It, it requires this, this detailed approach of going through num a number of different factors. So, um, and often, often those um, killer interview questions tend to sound very clever, but actually not tell you very much about the person. So I, I kind of stay clear of those. Um, and the other thing uh, similar is uh, references. A lot of people put a lot of store uh, in references. Um, references, I think, are are should absolutely be done, and they but they 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 help you identify people that you shouldn't hire by people. Someone gets gives a bad reference for cultural fit. Um, uh, you know, bad behaviors, you know, bad temper, or whatever it is, that's a, that's a kind of red flag and you shouldn't hire those people. But no one's going to be able to tell you whether someone that they hired in the past is going to be fantastic for your, uh, for your company. It's a different job. And some people will, can be very high performing in one job and very poor performing in another. And some people can be very poor in one job and very good in another. In fact, I, I always try and bear that in mind because if you do have to let someone go, what you're not saying to them is you are a bad person that can't do a good job. What you're saying is you're not a good fit for us and you should find somewhere you're a better fit because you'll just enjoy life much more and it'll be much better for you and much better for the company you work with. And if that's said genuinely, which I, and I do deeply believe it, I think people react to that much better. It is very difficult because if you're getting dismissed from a job, you are being told you're not good enough. But yeah, you can be clear that you're you're not it's not that you're not good enough you're not right for this specific job at this specific time in your your life and you can go and do something something different um I, you know there's that classic thing about you know don't don't assess a fish on its ability to climb a tree you know it's a it's find the find the you know if you're if you're a tree find find monkeys and if you're a sea find fish and that's a that's what you're looking for do you ever um have a probation period a three month or a, a month-long probation yeah, we have a six month probation. Um, and I think the really key thing there is it, it can't be a, a moving target. You've got to be really clear about what good looks like after three months, after six months. Um, and you've got to just make sure that you're constantly communicating with someone. No one should get to the six month period and then just suddenly find out out of the blue, you're not good enough, you, you leave, leave the company. They've got to be really, in fact, just all the way through, no one should ever have the experience where you just turn around one day and say, sorry, you're not good enough for us, you've got to go. Unless maybe there was a, uh, they breached the values and there was something, they, they just exposed the behavior that they'd been doing a good job. That, that, that could be an example where they get a, uh, they have a surprise. But if it's a performance related issue, they should know all the way through. So yeah, I think probation is really important. Um, and be really clear about what it, the end of the probation looks like as well is really important. You know, one of my uh, friends, uh, he's excellent at this, but he talks about providing uh, different types of non-monetary bonuses to help retain people. Now, you were talking about equity. But he, he will provide for uh, maybe a three-day vacation or just give a day off or something like that throughout the year uh, just to keep the people um, interested in staying on with, the, with his company. He's in the IT business, so uh, he gets his employees get picked off you know, every once in a while by recruiters. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
Um, well, I'm I'm going to disagree with that, and not that I don't think it, like you value your staff, treat them well. That mm-hmm. that's all good, but for me, the critical issue in a job that, that's going to make someone want to stay is that they're giving they they're continually be giving opportunities to learn and advance and improve. If you're constantly learning, you're thinking, "Wow, this company is amazing because I'm just becoming a better person." And any time I leave this job, I can get an even better job because I've acquired all these skills, but I don't want to leave because next month I'm going to acquire this additional level of skills. And then in a year's time, I'll have even more. Um, And the other part is to really recognize people when they're doing a a good job. Um, So if people aren't learning and they aren't getting recognized for doing a great job, but they get an extra three days off a holiday, they're going to leave anyway. So the the fundamental thing is making sure that the person is constantly, they're working on interesting challenges. They're getting that sense of satisfaction of overcoming a difficult challenge or of failing but failing gloriously and people not minding because that's part of our culture is to say we're going to take big bets and sometimes these things aren't going to work and we totally understand that um uh, yeah that's you know being part of that culture where you're 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 high performing um people are are, are taking these risks they're learning lots as they go they're learning from the failures as well as the successes they're being recognized for doing a good job that's a job that's really hard to leave and I, i i think we should always pay market salary rates right you could pay someone less money and often people would say i'll take less money to do this amazing job because what what are you trying to prioritize in your life are you trying to prioritize being happy and well rewarded um kind of with the uh, uh, kind of recognition or do you just want lots of money and be pretty miserable in your job i I know which one i'd go for yeah yeah the money's always tempting but you know yeah no, uh, absolutely. I understand that one completely. So now you've done all this. Are there any unexpected benefits uh, to putting all this work in and going through the system that you just talked about? Um, I think, I don't know if there are unexpected benefits. I mean, the, the benefits we expected, we are definitely seeing. Um, we expected that if you're blind about um, race and sex, you'll have a more diverse organization. And Diversity isn't important because, um, you know, you've got some kind of checkbox of do we have this gender, how many BAME people do we have? Or that that doesn't really make any sense. You you want people with genuinely different backgrounds because they'll think about problems in different ways and solve them uh, in interesting ways. Uh, Just a a note on diverse teams. So there's been quite good research that show this is research by the uh, neuro, uh, what are they called? Neuro... Oh, I forgot what they called the Neuro Something Institute. Anyway, they um, that the, um, diverse teams tend to be more effective because when they're tackling problems, they have different points of views get brought into the discussion, and that, that process of discussion and disagreement creates better decisions. The, the The experience of people working in those teams is that they feel less effective. So if you have a group of people that all think in the same way, someone brings up a problem, the first person says, "I know what we do. We're going to do this." And the next person says, yeah, let's do it. And the third person says, yeah, right, we're on. And it feels really effective. And you're just taking decisions and you're moving at speed, but you're making maybe bad decisions. Whereas if you have those different point of views, uh, women, different races, people that have had different um, educational upbringings, different socioeconomic groups, they say, well, hang on, is that really going to work? Because maybe this. And then the feeling is, oh, it's hard to work. And so people are disagreeing and you have to discuss it. and You're going slower, but your decision is better at the end. So 
that's why you have diversity. I mean, we tackled it at the beginning, like, why do you want diversity? You don't want diversity just so you can say, hey, we're a really diverse organization. You want diversity because it brings lots of people from different backgrounds. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I've definitely noticed there have been people, we, we hired a guy into our, to be uh, an Amazon analyst. He may even be watching today. So uh, Gabby, if you're watching, hello. Um, uh, and uh, I just thought, yeah, he, he'd been working, like one of his previous jobs had been working in a phone shop. And, uh, and it, this guy's incredibly analytical and he's been like one of the, like our top hires. Um, and I think we wouldn't, he would never got into interview stage with us if it hadn't been for the process that we followed. So it's not that it's unexpected, but it's really very satisfying when you, when you have it. So, um, and we have ended up very diverse. We're about 50%. Um, we've got a 50, 50 male, female split. Um, we got a ton of different nationalities. Um, I, we have a thing when we meet up as a company that someone will go, you know, someone will say, let's go out and have a meal from my kind of, uh, kind of country of origin and that, that could be uh italian uh, nigerian sri lankan um you know we've got people from romania i mean, just i mean everywhere just like a ton of different eth uh, kind of ethnicities um and so i think that's worked really well for us now i had a question here um and i, I just pre-interview and talking about picking your battles <clears throat> why is picking your battles your key for life um so i i, I think uh, it's sort of it, i think I'm, like what does it mean to think strategically so i think thinking strategically about picking battles and i think it's about the allocation of scarce resources in your your life you can't do everything uh, so from a from a life perspective if you want to have a, you know, a bigger house than everyone. Well, I question whether the, the I'm going to talk about material things, but you might say you're optimized for um, kind of contentment or family or friends or other things first. But let's say you've got all of that sorted. If you say, well, I want to have a bigger car than everyone, a, a bigger house, a better car, more expensive holidays, better clothes, eat in fine restaurants. You can't do all of that and you can't compete. Not that we should be competing, but you know, there was a temptation of kind of competing with people. So uh, Gabby's just said hi. He's uh, he is watching. <laughs> um, so um, uh, yeah. So you, if you try and be better, like have better stuff than everyone in all those categories, you can't really do it. So you've got to think what's really important to you as an individual. Maybe the the eating out is something you really enjoy doing. So spend less on the clothes and spend more on the the eating out. And be be sort of very purposeful about it. Because if you think about what's really going to deliver you the most value in your life then you pick your battles and you do, you, you choose, a, you, you can win by prioritizing your expenditure into the right areas. And a lot of people don't really, really do that. Um, uh, quite a good uh, trick is to kind of fast forward and say, where do you want to be in, in 10 years time? And what would the, does that look like? Um, and then look at where you're actually spending your time. It's very easy just to spend time doing things like browsing twitter or, or, or whatever but i've got some i've got some um, family goals i've got some fitness goals i've got some friendship goals but if you don't work on those things and be purposeful about them then it's easy just to let life sort of slip through your fingers watching netflix or, or, or whatever we've got tons of time in our lives even if you're working really hard as a solo entrepreneur and you're doing 10 hour days you still got another six hours in the day when you're not working and you're not asleep you can do a ton of stuff to so be really purposeful about it um, I think on the business side, um, 
I just have a, a big believer that work out what you're really good at and double down on that. A lot of people think I'm not very good at X. So they spend a load of time trying to improve that element of themselves. But actually, if they double down on the thing they were really good at, they're going to achieve a lot more. And you can always get someone else to do the bits that you're, you're not good at. Um, and I think that also applies on a company point of view. Um, if you've got a number of different products or brands or, or, or whatever it is, but let's say you've got more than one product, um, what tends to happen is the one that's struggling soaks up all the attention um, because it's having problems and you, you, got, you have to deal with those problems. And so that sucks attention because you've got this allocation of scarce resources. It sucks attention away from the things that are going really well. And if I put a unit of attention into a product that's going really well and I can 2x it because it's already going really well and it's, al and it's already making me £10,000 a month gross profit and I can make it to 20x, the product that's struggling and is making 2,000 gross profit and I can put the same unit of effort into it and I can you know, increase it by 10%, but well, then I get $200 of, uh, of extra profit from the same amount of effort. And I think it's very tempting to focus on the stuff that isn't working well and put all of your time and effort into that. So pick your battles, work out what's working well and focus on that, work out what you're good at, focus on that, work out what you really want and focus on that and make sure you're allocating time accordingly. Great answer. Like it. All right. And I agree a hundred percent, by the way, whether you that care, you know, you care about that or not, but no, that's a great answer. All right. So, um, we're going to be, uh, going into some of the questions. If you do have a question, uh, please post it, uh, anytime soon, because we're going to get into this. Then we're going to get into the wheel of Kelsey. And by the way, uh, the wheel of Kelsey today, hashtag wheel of Kelsey tag two people. You'll get a, uh, uh, a second entry, uh, Gabe. I don't think you'll be entering <laughs> unless you want your one-on-one -on -one with Ben. Anyways, Ben, one more time. What exactly are you giving away today? Yeah. So if you've heard what I've been saying and you think this sounds really interesting and you want to know how to actually practically apply it to your own situation, I have to spend some time going through your recruitment process and telling you how I would apply this to your specific situation. Very good. All right, Kels, let's get into some questions. Yeah, so uh, we just have a, a few comments. We asked the audience about you know, what was their experience hiring their team and if they had a positive or negative. Unfortunately, um, with CoolHand99, he said he's had a VA that cost him way more than he made me. And I've heard some people in, in talks say that, like, you should, or how should I phrase this? Is there a way to that you should value an employee when you're hiring them and say like three months from now or six months from now um if they are worth it in your hiring system like have they is there a certain amount of money that they should be bringing in i've heard like three times their pay like you should see that value or yeah I, although you may find it hard to measure that because someone may not be i mean if someone's doing a sales job um yes maybe you can say that they've got to bring in a certain amount of money but if someone's in the va example and um, they're, they're touching loads of little bits of your business how do you assess where which bits generated profit and which, which bits didn't um i think it, the, the i don't have an easy answer because the the answer is you have to have a really clear definition of what good looks like and you may only have that definition of what good looks like after you've um, hired someone and it hasn't worked out and you kind of know what bad looks like um so i don't think it's really it's really easy because uh, experience show, uh, tells but 
I do have a kind of rule of thumb for that for those for that kind of assistant job is a good person from day one makes your life feel easier. You may have to put some time into training them, and that's obviously really critical. How clearly are they briefed? Are they clear about what good looks like? Are they know, know what they ought to be doing? But someone that's someone that's really good will ask you the right questions to make sure they're doing the right job. You'll you'll just feel this sense of trust that if you give them a task to be done, it's just going to get done. Right. And if you don't have that level of trust. I would just break it off quite quickly and find someone else where you, where you do have it because that's that's where it gets on. You, you start you start worrying that they're not going to do a good job, so you then start kind of overseeing what they're doing a bit more. They then actually give up all attempts to be um, independent and use their own initiative because they know that you're kind of watching them. And then they end up in a situation where they're doing what they think you might want them to do rather than what you've told them to do or what they think is the right thing to do. Um, and then then they're really not working in the real world at all so i think making sure you're really clear about what good looks like making sure they're properly trained to, to do the job but then just evaluate quite early on do you trust them to do what you've, you've asked them to do and if you don't have that trust i think you should try and find someone else yeah i just like to add too that sometimes it's not a man monetary value sometimes it's relief stress relief or freeing up some time so you can go on and do something else during your day. So uh, it's not necessarily, you know, this built-in strict ROI that you're going to see. And sometimes it's definitely over time. So you might be doing, or uh, the VA might be working on repetitive tasks or other small, what I would call the, the $10 an hour job. And so I break things into four categories, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000 they're not the dollar figure. It's just how I break it up. And while you're giving these repetitive tasks, you could be working on the thousand or what I'd like to say is the $10,000 tasks that are going to be able to make you grow your business. That might be over time. Yeah. That might be creating marketing strategies or, you know, find different sales channels and you won't see that until you can get some time or some pressure taken off with hiring a really good um, contractor or person that can help out with your company. Yeah, I, I think as an entrepreneur, you're always going to be working on the unknown. So if you work out how something works and it becomes a known thing and you can write it down and you can train someone to do it for you, you should hire someone to do that. A lot of that stuff like you're talking about marketing and trying new channels, you don't know how it works. You you got to you know, you got to try it for yourself. You got to learn how it works. That's something you should be doing. But once you said, all right, I've worked out how this bit works, then you can document it. You can turn it to a process. You can hire someone, and they can take over uh, doing that part of it. And that, that is how you scale as a as an entrepreneur. Because you, you that's much more. It's always difficult because it, it always it's always expressed as a cost up front. But you don't and you don't see the benefit of the new things you can do. Those you have to create once you create the time to do them. They're not. It's not obvious, so it's always a tricky step, but I think always worth doing if you can uh, if you can afford it. Very good. Next question. All right. So this is a little quote that Andrew uh, sent us. He said, uh, "Train people so they can leave, uh, but treat them so they won't." And that's from Sir Richard. So thank you, Andrew. Yeah, I love and, that. Uh, the last comment, um, just I guess some background from Tony. He was saying what his experience was like. He said he was overpaying uh, someone. Uh, we're full time from the U.S. for a thousand dollars, but he's pulled it back to around five to six hundred dollars, and it's a 
it's better for him and it's a new salary range that seems to be working. So um, awesome. Thanks for uh, letting us know, Tony. And um, yeah, I think that's it for comments and questions from our side. Tony sitting in his brand new office. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think that's, that's about it. I think you're off to a hook. If people want to awesome. get a hold of you, Ben, how do they do that? Uh, I think you've posted my Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way. I'm, I'm Ben Fletcher on, on Twitter. Um, if you type up Ben Fletcher on LinkedIn, you'll find me on there as well. Um, so either of those two are, are good. Very good. All right. It's putting up. Okay. Please just have your information. That's great. Uh, so let's have a word from the sponsor and then we'll get back to Willa Kelsey. This episode is brought to you by Clear Ads. Looking to maximize your Amazon ads ROI? Well, whether you need full service or just one or two services, Clear Ads Amazon advertising experts drive outstanding results across the Amazon marketplace. With over nine years of experience, their Amazon PPC managers have helped thousands of companies to drive down their cost of sales and scale up their revenue, profits, and orders. And with their unrivaled Amazon DSP expertise, ClearAd's DSP services are tailored to your brand. You really can't go wrong. Get in touch today with ClearAd's dedicated team by visiting the link in the description or visiting clearads.co.uk. And remember, more sales, better ROI, incredible growth. Check out ClearAds today. All right, Ben, you've never seen this before. Turn your volume down and enjoy. It's time for the Wheel of All right. Thank you, everyone, who entered the Wheel of Kelsey for today. Um, we do this every single podcast. And uh, yeah, if you are the winner, please email me, k at lunchwithnorm.com, and we can go ahead and spin the wheel. So here we go. I'll shuffle it up, and let's see who today's winner is. So again, that's k at lunchwithnorm if you are the winner. Oh, is it Tom? Taco no, taco community. community. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Awesome. So, uh, again, please email me, k at lunchwithnorm.com, uh, to get in contact with Ben and receive your prize. So, thank you, everyone, for entering, and we'll see you back here on Friday. All right. Ben, thank you for coming on uh, the show today. It was great having you. Uh, great topic, by the way. My pleasure. Thank you. So stick around. I'm you're going to be removed from the podcast and I'll come back in two seconds to talk to you. But uh, anyways, thank you. And all right, everybody. I hope you learned a little bit about the topic today. I thought it was a great topic, something that not a lot of people are talking about, but what useful information. I wish I would have known more about this 20 years ago, 30 years ago when I made all these mistakes. So anyways, I hope you learned something. Uh, let us know if you did. Uh, I'd like to hear your comments. You can post it in the Facebook community group as well. Kelsey, where are you?
Here I am. Yes, uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, I sure enjoyed today's episode. It was a lot of great information. And I know we're currently looking to hire some people, too. So um, I definitely took some notes uh, from today's episode. Um, so if you are new to the podcast, make sure you join our Facebook group. That's Lunch with Norm, Amazon FBA and e-commerce collective. Uh, links are in the descriptions. Uh, so you can join there, um, ask your questions about selling on Amazon e-commerce. Uh, we do giveaways over there and a whole bunch of fun stuff. And you get to just be a part of the community and uh, meet the other beardos um, that listen to the podcast. Also, uh, let me see. Don't forget to smash those like buttons. If you enjoy today's episode, let us know your thoughts about today's episode. It was a little different than um, I think our usual episodes, which... Um, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. And um, yeah, let us know your thoughts. If there's any other topics that you'd like us to cover or even guests um, that you'd like us to reach out to, we're happy to take a look and see what we can do to uh, make it possible. So um, that's that. And I think we're all done. All right. Very good. So join us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. And I say this every episode. Thank you for being part of the community. We could never do this without you. Uh, we just love it. Uh, all the engagement and all the comments and in the group, it's awesome. So thank you for being part of the community and we will see you on Friday. Lunch with, lunch with, lunch with.